and welcome to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast. My name is Jesse, and I'll be your host. So on today's episode, uh, this is like our Halloween episode because we are right at the end of October. So happy Halloween to everybody. Hope you all been watching some spooky movies and, you know, getting into the spooky season. I know it's one of my favorite times of year. Uh, today we're going to be covering uh, a horror movie. Uh, of course, we've been covering horror movies for the past few weeks. Uh, and this one is going to be 1998's Urban Legend. So this movie is, um, I own the Blu-ray, the Scream Factory Blu-ray of this film. Um, I will say off the top, uh, this isn't exactly one of my favorite horror movies or anything like that, um, but what I will say is that I really do, uh, I do enjoy the story behind this movie, which we'll get into a little bit later, um, how it just came to be. I mean, the cast is absolutely stacked in this film. And I think it did do something to kind of uh, at least bring in, like, urban legends as part of, like, the horror genre in a way. I think those are always kind of in there, of course, but uh, this movie kind of helped capitalize on that. Um, so, as we normally do on the show, I'll go through some, you know, figures of the movie that I got from Rotten Tomatoes. We'll go over some critical response quotes. Uh, we'll go over just some kind of production history stuff, you know, like how this movie came to be, uh, some casting, and then we'll go into a plot summary. Without further ado, let's get to those figures. So Urban Legend was directed by Jamie Blanks, um, was written by Silvio Orta, produced by Gina Matthews and Neil Moritz, and music was done by Christopher Young. Release date was September 25th, 1998. We got an estimated budget of $14 million. We got a box office of $38.1 million for uh, the U.S. and Canada gross, and then a worldwide gross of $72.5 million. We were looking at a Rotten Tomatoes score of 23% on the tomato meter. We're looking at a 37% audience score. We're looking at a 5.6 out of 10 uh, from IMDb. And a letterbox score of 2.8 out of 5. So I've got some critical response quotes here from um, some critics uh, about Urban Legend. We're looking at Sean P. Means from Film.com, who states, Those of us with brain cells, however, will spit out this scream retread like it was spider egg-laced bubblegum. Uh, I got Liam Lacey from Globe and Mail, who states, Like Frankenstein's monster before the lightning strikes, it's all recycled cold flesh and bolts without a twitch of originality. And we have Steve Newton from Georgia Strait, who states, The makers of Urban Legends stock their film with so many one-dimensional cookie-cutter stereotypes that its potential for exploiting deep-seated fears gets numbed. For our cast of characters, we're looking at Jared Leto as Paul Gardner, Alicia Witt as Natalie Simon, Rebecca Gayhart as Brenda Bates, Tara Reid as Sasha Thomas, Michael Rosenbaum as Parker Riley, Loretta Devine as Reese Wilson, Joshua Jackson as Damon Brooks, John Neville as Dean Adams, Robert Englund as Professor William Wexler, Danielle Harris as Tosh Gunneri, Natasha Gregson-Wagner as Michelle Mancini, Brad Dourif as Michael McDonnell, and Julian Richings as the Weird Janitor. So before we hop into a plot summary about Urban Legend, I kind of wanted to go over just some um, baseline production history and some casting and things of that sort uh, about this movie. 
Uh, I actually think the story of how the writer and the director came to be for this film is a really, really interesting. Uh, a little bit more interesting than the actual film itself, if I'm being honest. But I just think this is so fascinating. I got this information from the Urban Legacy documentary, which is on the Scream Factory Blu-ray of this film. So it's kind of broken up into these different parts and talking about different uh, parts of the movie and how it all came to be. There's some extended interviews from some of the people who were involved. But what I thought was really cool about about this is that, you know, I think uh, Jamie Blanks, the director, I think Scream Factory called him and was like, hey, you know, you want to do a release of Urban Legend? Like, we'll do it for you. We'll help you release this as a Blu-ray. And he was like, yeah, sure, let's do it. And um, he was actually able to get, I think it was 26 or something of cast and crew, 26 people back um, in 2018 to uh, be a part of this Urban Legacy documentary. Uh, so we got a, different, a lot of different cast members who came back, different crew members. They all speak really highly of, of Jamie Blanks and just how it was making this movie. Um, so I think that really says a lot about a director. But yeah, I would definitely highly recommend if you're at all interested to get the Scream Factory Blue of this. Um, of course, it has really good, you know, HD and like... Um, HD picture and like audio and all that but I, I would definitely recommend um, if you're at all interested in the history definitely get this. But let's start out with the story behind Urban Legend. You know when Scream came out it really revitalized the horror genre um, because it was so self-aware it was meta um, and it kind of spawned a bunch of imitators and Urban Legend kind of gets put into that bucket. So you know we're looking at you know 1997 98 you know I Know What You Did Last Summer had just come out uh, and there were other movies that also came out as well. We have, this story really starts with, um, a gentleman by the name of Silvio Orta, um, who was the screenwriter of this film, um, who unfortunately in 2020 actually passed away. He passed away of suicide after dealing with some addiction issues and some mental health struggles. Um, he was trying to get his life back on track, and then unfortunately he did decide to take his own life. So rest in peace, Silvio. But uh, he wrote the screenplay for this movie. It was really just, you know, he was writing about some college campus kids who were getting killed off um, by way of urban legends and so you got Silvio who wrote this movie and then Gina Matthews who was the producer of this film was actually at the time um, managing a small group of writers uh, she had served as a producer um, maybe on some smaller films I think she had also been an assistant to producers on like one or two films according to her IMDB page but she met Silvio Orta. Um, he she really liked him, and they had a draft of a script called Urban Legend, like I said. Um, and actually, Silvio was working at uh, Nordstrom as like a perfume sprayer. So like literally, like when Silvio and Gina would meet to kind of you know go over the script and see what they could do about shopping around, they would like have to meet at a cafe, and then like he would have to go to work at Nordstrom to go you know spray perfume, um, and that's just how they had to kind of do things. But, you know, he, he seemed really uh, enthusiastic about this script, and he really wanted it to do well. So him and Gina went out to pitch this film, but no studio was really into it, you know? And they just were like, no, this needs to get better. Like, this is just not what we were looking to do right now. 
And actually, Silvio and Gina got Neil Moritz, who had just produced I Would Know What You Did Last Summer. You know, they got him involved with this pitch. But even getting Neil involved really didn't mean, you know, it really, really meant so much because uh, no studio really wanted it. Um, Around the same time, Phoenix Pictures had just launched. So Phoenix Pictures was the pretty much, uh, I guess, production company of this film. And Mike Medavoy was the chair and CEO of this film. of this company and he had been Steven Spielberg's agent. He had worked with these high profile, um, you know, producers, directors, all of this. This company was an offshoot of Mike Metavoy, like I said, and it was really more about um, doing these art house type films. Um, they had done a movie with Barbara Streisand that got some recognition. They ended up doing this film. They actually also ended up doing the movie Dick, which I covered on one of my early episodes uh, with Kirsten Dunst and Michelle Williams. Um, but yeah, they've kind of done these different movies that were not just like these big blockbusters or anything. They really wanted to kind of do different genre fare, if you will. And Mike Metavoy was interested in the project. Um, you know, again, we're looking at, you know, Ride in the Wave after Scream and I Know What You Did Last Summer, which, you know, uh, was also kind of a, a success as well. They decided to greenlight this project. They were interested in wanting to kind of continue that and keep it going. So Silvio, even when it got uh, greenlit, he did write a few other drafts of the script. Um, but it was good that, you know, they got the project greenlit, but he did do a few other drafts of the script. And so in the uh, Urban Legacy documentary, they were talking about how um, kind of one thing to do that when a project gets greenlit like this, sometimes what will happen is uh, they'll have like, I guess what's called a script doctor come in. Um, to kind of take a once-over of the script, see if it needs any kind of tweaking or anything like that uh, before they actually start to go into production. So they brought in a gentleman by the name of Don Roos, who had been um, a screenwriter. You know, he's wrote uh, Sing White Female, did other projects as well. And they took a second pass at the script, but Don said pretty much the script was good as it was. Um, And he may have added like a few lines in there and all, but honestly, I mean... Don Roos said, like, hey, this is good. That really kind of shocked, um, like, Silvio and Gina, who were like, oh, okay, well, if this guy seems to think it's good, like, maybe we got something, maybe we got something good here. So then, now that you have uh, that little bit of what the behind this, this story was, we now have to go into assembling the team to create Urban Legend. Jamie Blanks who ended up being the director of Urban Legend, had been making amateur horror movies um, since his childhood. He is an Australian guy. He uh, went to film school in Australia. You know, again, growing up, having made these amateur horror films. And he actually made a horror short um, called Silent Number uh, before he graduated. That was kind of his thesis film in a way. You can actually watch Silent Number on YouTube. It's actually not that bad of a little short film. It's kind of creepy. And it's about this babysitter who's watching this kid. And she starts getting these weird phone calls. And it ends up that the phone calls are um, coming from like a grave, like from a dead boy. It's really interesting. But, uh, you know, this kind of short film became his calling card to help him try to get some directing jobs. So he also, Jamie had a gentleman by the name of Simon Millar, who was his manager that he brought on, actually. This guy, Simon, was helping set up a Propaganda Pictures uh, studio in Hollywood. But he himself, I think, was also an Aussie as well. And so he was looking for some director talent uh, from Australia and New Zealand, since, of course, that's pretty much where he came from so he was like all right let me go back to like around where i'm from and go see if we can find some talent to kind of help make pictures in hollywood 
And the film schools he would visit um, would give him VHS tapes uh, of some of the short films from their students and everything. I believe that Simon said that he had all these VHSs and he was just kind of watching them and watching them. It was like a couple hours he was watching them with. And um, then he finally came across Silent Number from Jamie Blanks. He absolutely was just... um, blown away by it he was like oh my god this is so good uh and he was like i gotta meet with this jamie blanks guy like this is out of all these other movies i've been watching from these students like this is something that's definitely different and we could do something with so jamie and simon they had this working relationship where simon would send jamie scripts to take a look at to see if it was like a good fit for him or any of this so uh jamie actually i believe got uh the script initially for what was called scary movie at the time, which then ended up becoming Scream. He got that script at one point. Mainly, he actually got the script for I Know What You Did Last Summer, which was written by Kevin Williamson, ended up being directed by Jim Gillespie. Jamie was really interested in I Know What You Did Last Summer. He was like, oh, this is a great script. I'd love to be able to direct direct this. So he decided to go against the grain a little bit, and he decided to create a trailer. He pretty much said, like, all right, I got this much film left. I got these actors that I can work with. So let me go make a trailer. So he literally just took these actors out for like two different weekends. He shot this trailer. It was like however much, like 10 minutes or 15 minutes of footage. He then cut together uh, to be a trailer. It was pretty much all done in Australia, which is crazy. Yeah, it was just these different scenes from I Know What You Did Last Summer from the script that he really wanted to just highlight, and he made this trailer. So Simon Millar, that agent, uh, he got this trailer, he loved it, and he was like, oh my god, I have to give this to Neil Moritz, because he had connections with him. And he literally was like, Neil, you have to take a look at this. Neil Moritz loved the trailer, he was like, oh my god, like, did we like... Because by this point, um, they had already settled on Jim Gillespie, to direct I Know What You Did Last Summer. But even Neil was like, oh my god, like maybe, did we make the wrong decision? Because this trailer was really good. Like, But they already had decided that, you know, they were going to have Jasmine Gillespie take on this uh, role as director. But it was decided after seeing that trailer that Jamie had made, um, and also talking to Jamie as well, because he was an absolute horror fan, knew uh, so much about horror because he grew up loving it. Um, he It was pretty much decided that, like, okay, whatever the next horror project we get is we need to give it to him because this is great and i think even also to um i think even gina matthews said it in the urban uh urban legacy documentary that i think even like uh some of the shots that jamie did in his concept trailer i think were even used they kind of copied some of the shots from from that concept trailer and used it in the actual trailer like so yeah off of that jamie blanks became the director of urban legend you know when urban legend got greenlit and they were like oh we need to give it to jamie because i mean he really he could probably really knock this out of the park um and so then the rest of the team they had charles breen who had actually just come off blade runner he had been the production designer there he was chosen to be the production designer for urban legend we got uh james uh uh, who had worked on, who then went on to work on Ghost Whisperer, but had been a director of photography, a cinematographer already, but he was chosen as director of photography for Urban Legend. And then Jay Cassidy, who had been working as an editor, he would then go on to do like Tuck Everlasting and then other movies as well. He was chosen as the editor for Urban Legend. So now that we're talking a little bit about, okay, we got the director, we got a production designer, we got a DP, and we got an editor. All right, now what we need to do is we need to go find a cast. 
They cast Jared Leto as Paul in this film. They say that he pretty much had a certain darkness to him. Um, and he was actually very popular from the sitcom My So-Called Life. Um, so that really kind of was able to get him in and be able to audition for the role. I will say that uh, ever since this role, he has pretty much disowned this film. He is not a particular fan of it and what he's done in it. And then also, I will say, going on record right now, Jared Leto is an actual piece of human garbage um, who has his own little weird cult like little sex cult thing going on. So um, uh, with no certain uncertain terms, uh, fuck Jared Leto. Besides that, we then have Alicia Witt, who was cast as Natalie. Um, this was going against her normal type. Um, you know, she had been, by this point, I think she had been in Dune as a child, uh, the David Lynch film. She had also been on Twin Peaks in a few episodes. And I believe she had been in Mr. Holland's opus by this point. Um, but yeah, you know, she she was cast in this role. I will say, uh, you know, I don't have anything against Alicia Witt or anything, but I'm not exactly the biggest fan of Natalie. Actually, funny enough, uh, Danielle Harris, who plays Tosh in this film, went up for that role. And I'm just going to say right now, I totally wish Danielle Harris had this role instead. You know, it is what it is. You know, she came in, she did what she had to do. Danielle Harris, for those who may not know, was in Halloween 4 and 5 as a kid playing Jamie Lloyd and also was in like Boy Meets World for like an episode. She played Harley Kiner's little sister, which was kind of fun in the second season, I think. Been in like Rob Zombie's Halloween. She's been, she was Debbie Thornberry in The Wild Thornberries. And I just love Daniel Harris, you know, queen. But yeah, so, you know, Alicia Witt was, was Natalie. We'll move on. Um, Rebecca Gayhart uh, was the role of Brenda. You know, she really wanted this role. She fought for it. By this time, Time she had been known as the Mount Noxima girl, uh, the facial cleanser um, that's like smells like eucalyptus, I think. And she had been on uh, she had been on Scream Two. She was playing one of the sorority sisters. I think she probably had shot Jawbreaker at this point, and then it didn't come out to '99. So um, she really fought for it. You know, she had been on I think it was 90210 or something like that on like a little role there. Um, she really fought for it, though, and she really wanted it. A uh, kind of fun little thing is that, uh, you know, once they actually got the role, uh, there were kind of some discussions about, like, oh, well, what is her hair going to look like? Because, you know, at first, Jamie really wanted it to be straight. But then, you know, uh, Mitch, uh, I think it was Michael Mc mcconnell mcdonnell who came in on as a producer of this film um had to be reminded or rebecca had to kind of tell him like well you know my hair is like naturally curly as most people saw it in the noxima commercial it's her natural hair state for me to get my hair straight it's going to take about it's going to take an hour and a half two hours for my hair to get straight uh that i can't be on set you know there were some hair discussions but it ended up working out really well because you know um it really didn't matter if she had curly hair or not, um, and we'll get to why that is a little bit later. There were definitely some hair discussions, um, and her hair's gorgeous, by the way, too, so, you know. But her hair was kind of curly, which is nice. Joshua Jackson, who plays Damon, got this role pretty much from uh, having been on Dawson's Creek. I believe the second season of Dawson's Creek had was like literally premiering as this movie was coming out pretty much uh so that you know there is that kind of a tie-in a little bit uh but he was also just a really good actor as well they thought he was really great and i 
am also in the middle of, well, I'm on and off watching Dawson's Creek here and there. And, uh, of course, I this is a Pacey Witter stand account for most times, except when he was doing some bullshit in the first season, but we'll not get into that. And then Michael Rosenbaum, who plays Parker, uh, he had just graduated from college. I think he went to college in uh, Kentucky. He did some off-Broadway shows in New York, like off-off-Broadway. And he had been in a movie called Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil with Clint Eastwood, I believe. I think the Lady Chablis was in that movie, too. You know, he got that role, and then he decided he wanted to go to L.A., so he ended up coming to L.A. He was trying to do little things here and there. Um, he was living in, like, a sketchy part of town, you know, trying to go on auditions and all that. But he was a huge horror movie fan, and so this came across his desk. He took that fandom into the audition with him, you know, and I think it even was, they were kind of set on maybe casting another dude in this. They never really said who it was, but they were kind of set on maybe casting another guy uh, in this role, but actually, they they were like, you know what? The, what happened was he really went over this audition and there was a particular scene where Parker is like relaying the story of what happened at Stanley Hall, right? And he's telling the story about this massacre that happens and talking about like, you know, and he goes, you know, one by one to each door and like slits their throats or whatever. And it he almost was taking some inspiration from a horror movie, um, Return of the Living Dead by Dan O'Banion from the 80s. Uh, kind of taking a little inspiration from from one of their monologues in there. But yeah, I mean, he he hooked it. He hooked the scene and it was it was great, you know? Um, and and Jamie was just sold. He was like, I'm, I'm handcasting that guy. That was Parker. We then had Tara Reid, who had just been in um, The Big Lebowski, I think. She hadn't been in uh american pie quite yet so you know this was one of her roles she was able to get robert england was uh put uh, of course obviously they wanted to cast him um as professor Wexler because you know he's freddy obviously so this is a horror movie we're gonna have this horror movie nod so of course we're gonna cast robert england but he was interested too he he thought a lot of the different people in the cast like he definitely wanted to work with them and, and you know it's kind of a cool nod to have uh, uh, Loretta Devine, who at this time, you know, had been in the movies. She was the original dream. She was an original dream girl on Broadway. Um, she was Reese. You know, she was completely going against her normal type. But it was so great. You know, she definitely was probably thinking like, you know, you cut me a check. I'll be in the movie. You know, uh, I love her. <laughs> and also Brad Dorf came on, you know, and, and that's super cool, too. You know, he has a little cameo in here uh, playing in the beginning of the movie. So, yeah, that's the cast of the film. I would also be remiss if we did not talk about the score of this movie, which honestly is uh, a positive in my book. The score of this film is really, really beautiful. It was composed by Christopher Young, who had previously done movies like The Dorm That Dripped Blood in 1982. He did Hellraiser, which has a beautiful score. Uh, he had also done Tales from the Hood um, and... Uh, also, Freddy, uh, Freddy's Nightmare, or Freddy's Revenge. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. He did the music there. Uh, Christopher Young and um, the producer, uh, Michael McDonald, they actually had been in a band before in the 70s. They both were from New Jersey and just knew each other. And, uh, you know, when they were looking for someone to compose the movie, they were like, oh my god, Like I know this guy, Christopher Young. He's become an, a known horror guy uh, for music, so why not get him in there? 
So, uh, but there's some there's some great uh, music in here. You know, they play um, Love Roller Coasters in here somewhere. You have Total Eclipse of the Heart, which we'll talk to in a little bit. You got Zoot Suit Riot. Uh, there's, a, uh, there's a Rob Zombie song in here somewhere. Uh, so yeah, like I definitely must say that the music here is definitely a plus, um, for the film and Christopher Young, love ya. Uh, he's done, he's then gone on to do some great, you know, he did Sinister, he's done The Exorcism of Emily Rose, he did Drag Me to Hell, uh, all sorts of stuff. So yeah, the score is absolutely incredible. Principal photography for this film took place on April 20th, 1998. It started, it went on for about 53 days. Uh, the University of Toronto actually served as a stand in for Pendleton University. That's where this was shot at. As I stated before, Charles Breen uh, is the production designer of this film. Ended up doing the opening scene. They did that all around um, Toronto. They did um, the gas station scene they did in Toronto. They had artificial rain machines that were used. Uh, so a lot of this was also just done in Toronto pretty much. Uh, throughout this shoot, um, Jamie Blanks really kept the on-screen violence muted or it was implied rather than show it in explicit detail. So several moments. Um, so for example, in the beginning scene, it was supposed to be a little more graphic than it ends up being. That was just kind of something that he did. Also, Jim Gillespie kind of did that too with I Know What You Did Last Summer. Not really all that graphic of a movie. Uh, and then Valentine, which Jamie Drellings also directed. Uh, again, it's a movie that doesn't have a ton of gore in it. And that's what they wanted to do. Tara Reid actually performed her own stunts uh, during the chase sequence later in the movie. Also, the stuntman who performed the scene was using a real axe through the filming of it to make it look more realistic. And then post-production of this film was so crazy rushed. This movie literally, you know, um, finished in July of 98. Um, it took place in Los Angeles' post-production. Um, and it was to be released September 25th. So literally, they had almost less than two months to just get this whole thing pre-production, you know, post-production done. But they had done a good job at, you know, making sure that the budget was adhered to and everything was done, that they actually had, I think, three extra days, which then um, Michael McDonald actually went back to Toronto to do some pickup shots of some atmosphere shots and things of that nature. Um but yeah, you know, that's how that worked. And then they were able to uh, to do a, a test audience uh, in Pasadena during the post-production of this film. And the audience you know, response was great. So they were like, all right, we looks like we got something good on our hands. So that's a little bit of production history about this urban legend movie. So now let's move into a plot summary. With our title sequence, we see that there's this heavy rain going on, and we see urban legend, we see our, you know, cast of characters and all that, we see a shot of this river. This was actually shot, um, this was used as actually part of the ending shot, too, of this river that was kind of overflowing with rainwater. Um, it was actually shot at that same time and just used in the beginning. An SUV is being driven by a girl who we then find out is uh, a girl by the name of Michelle Mancini, played by Natasha Gregson Wagner. Natasha Gregson Wagner by this point had been in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the movie. She had also, she was also the daughter of um, Natalie Wood. And she is listening to a radio show called Under the Covers with Sasha, uh, which is Sasha's radio show. Sasha is played by uh, Tara Reid. Uh, there's a reference to a baby aspirin legend uh, where apparently uh, this 
girl uh, was using her roommate's birth control pills and was replacing it with baby aspirin. And now the roommate's pregnant. And how is she supposed to get a roommate um, this late into the semester and all? And so Michelle Mancini's driving this SUV and she almost gets to a car accident by like looking for a CD in the back. So she wasn't really, you know, using safe driving, you know, um, practices. So she almost gets to do a car accident, but she doesn't. Um, almost a head-on collision. And she puts in a cassette of Total Eclipse of the Heart. Um, and she just starts singing it. And she's singing it so bad and off-key. While she is, you know, off-key singing, uh, she uh, passes by this big-ass gas station that she could have went to. But then this girl uh, is running out of gas, you know? And it's like, oh, my God. Like, what the, what the hell? You know, what the fuck? So she's running out of gas. She's like, oh my God, what am I going to do? So, okay, cool. Like, you know, there's a gas station up ahead. Uh, those gas prices were lit. Like, that was like a dollar something or whatever. Oh my God, you should see them now. But Jesus. Anyway, so she stops by this little gas station, you know, in the pouring rain. And she's just like, all right, like, like I'm just waiting here, waiting here. And then you see this, like, gas attendant who's just, like, looking in her window and looking all creepy with his, like, long hair. This gas station attendant is played by Brad Dorif. And we end up finding out later that his name is Michael McDonald which is also the name of the one of the producers of this film. So the gas attendant, you know, makes his little cameo. Michelle asks him to fill the tank, so t he takes her credit card. He starts filling the tank up. She calls um, him, without him hearing it, I guess, a freak show. And the gas attendant is filling the tank. And while he is filling the tank, he also takes a look in the back seat. You know, I don't think anything of it. He then goes back into the gas station while the tank is, you know, going up and up, which you should not normally do. You normally need to uh, be at the pump while you're getting your gas pumped. And so the attendant then comes back out in the rain and tells um, Michelle that her credit card company is on the phone and they'd like to speak with her. And she's like, all right, hold on a minute. I'll, I'll be coming in. So she then grabs her mace because she's a lady. And she's like, I'm not about to have any funny business happening, okay? So she takes her mace and she gets her stuff together. She gets her little coat and she like, you know, boop boop her, her SUV and she goes into this uh, gas station. So then she gets out of the car. She goes in the gas station with this guy and she takes the phone that, you know, is off the hook and she tries to talk to the credit card company, but there is no credit card company on the phone oh no and we think that some weird shit's going on and like you know again this guy has been set up as being a creep he's being kind of weird he has kind of a stutter so you're just like oh my god like what the hell's going on and so in this scene you know if you don't know if any other you know context you would think like oh god like yeah this guy's kind of creepy looking like you know what's going on with him like you know um he is he trying to attack her you know and you're kind of feeling for her a little bit you're like oh god like she's just trying to get away because this guy might attack her for some weird reason. So she escapes out of the gas station by macing him and like throwing him phone like through the window and like, you know, going back out there. And she gets back in her car. She's like, oh, bitch, I got to leave. Right. So she like leaves and she's driving away. And the guy is trying to say, like, stop, stop. And, you know, again, she just kind of like you know, grazes him, goes past. And then you just see this guy. And, you know, you see this gas station attendant, he's just like, uh, and then he's getting himself together and he just screams, someone's in the back seat. And then you see, you know, she's driving, 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 total clips of the hearts playing. 
And it's like, turn around, bright eyes. Every now and then I fall apart. You know, all that. And she's kind of singing around to it. And then as she's driving and singing a little bit, you see this like figure in the back that then has an axe. And then you just see this whole thing. Um, but you don't see anything explicit. You just see that this um, this Michelle girl gets axed in the head. She gets decapitated. You don't see her actual head roll off or anything like that. But that is the end of her. I thought it was kind of a good touch to play Total Eclipse of the Heart when this was playing, just because it talks about falling apart and all that kind of stuff. I will also say, too, I mean, listen, um, first off, if they decapitated the driver, how do they not, like, just crash? You know, how did that happen? Did, like, the killer just, like, take over the wheel after they decapitated this person? So, there's that. And then also, I think this also could have, you know, been, this all could have been circumvented uh, if maybe the gas station attendant just wrote something down or, or whatever, if he had uh, trouble with communicating verbally. But, you know, what do I know? We then transition over to Pendleton University and we meet what I call, quote-unquote, the gang. Um, so we're introduced to Sasha, played by Tara Reid, with her little sex radio show, Under the Covers with Sasha, like I said. And you then um, have this caller calling in who's talking about like how she um, swallowed some semen and that she feels them... Uh, like swimming around in her stomach and you know that whole thing happens and you know um i think sasha says something about like you know i think the only needs thing that needs to get pumped is the air out of your head and she's talking talking and then you transition over to the student cafe where you see the rest of our gang you see natalie played by alicia witt you see parker played by michael rosenbaum you see brenda played by rebecca gayhart and you see paul played by jared leto you know just sitting around a little bit i think uh natalie Parker and Brenda are all kind of sitting together and then Paul comes in. So then Parker is telling this story about the Stanley Hall massacre, talking about how like there was this professor from 25 years ago who said, uh, or who, you know, apparently went to Stanley Hall and like uh, caught all these people's throats, all these students' um, throats, and then he kills himself and all this stuff. And that's why they commemorate this uh, with a, uh, a party every year. And Paul then comes over, he's calling BS on this urban legend in particular he's just like yeah no this isn't real like you know fuck that right and so you know you see all this and then natalie so then brenda is showing interest in paul of being like oh he's just such a babe um and so you know there's some interest there um then you see natalie and brenda they walk over to stanley hall you find out that apparently brenda has transferred to this school she was about to go to nyu but she didn't and so they go to stanley hall and they decide to raise the dead by participating in a bloody mary little ritual um so they stand outside of the stanley hall and they just say five uh, bloody mary five times and then alicia witt uh natalie she's just like eh, no, this is fucked up whatever but then they hear this like weird scream from inside which is like kind of weird and then they're like all right let's go let's go and then they get spooked by their friend damon brooks who's played by joshua jackson pacey winner then natalie is walking back to her room and she then walks in on tosh getting boned tosh is played by daniel harris she's getting it from the back um and she's having sex with her her little goth boyfriend apparently girl i get it anyway so there's that and then natalie goes to bed um you know with her earphones in playing you know whatever the hell music she's playing 
have this beautiful setup shot of the campus. So it's like this vertical, it's kind of like a helicopter shot or something of this beautiful, you know, University of Toronto campus. Uh, we see the little quad outside. This is a really pretty campus, by the way. And we go into folklore class taught by Freddy Krueger himself, Robert Englund, who's playing Professor Wexler. And he's talking about the babysitter legend. So like, you know, very much like when a stranger calls, like there's a babysitter, she's getting threatening phone calls. Um, they ask her, is she checking? the children and then you know um she's getting in from inside the house Ooh, bitch it's so scary right so then you know uh they're talking about that uh brendan makes a little you know kind of comment of like maybe the culture admiration of this is don't babysit so then you know wexer's all like oh well you know come up and volunteer for this next thing you know i'm sure you'll live from it and so uh professor wexler gives brenda these pop rocks for her to um for her to take in. Uh, and he's like, do you know what these are? They're like, yeah, they crackle in your mouth. They're pop rocks. So then you see this. And if you uh, look behind, I believe it's Parker and Natalie and all them. Uh, there's actually a little cameo of Silvio Orta. And also his, um, the assistant to Jamie Blanks at the time, guy by the name of um, Edgar Pablos. Uh, they're actually cameoing in the back as college students. And so, you know, this whole thing, he, Professor Wexler then offers some Pepsi in that blue, blue can. Why didn't he give her Coke? You know what I mean? But like, whatever. Gives her this, you know, stuff and... She's like, oh, no, 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 I'm not going to drink that. Because apparently, you know, if you drink Pop Rocks and soda together, you know, all your intestines just burst. And then Wexler's all like, well, this has happened to somebody that you know. And, she, you know, Brenda's like, Mikey, from the cereal commercial, you know, gives anything to Mikey, he'll eat anything. And so she's just like, no, bitch, I don't want to do that. Like, that's scary. So then, you know, uh, Wexler's all like, well, what if I told you that this is Mikey? He is perfectly healthy and alive. He's working in New York as an ad exec. Would you do it then? Damon, with his, like, trifling ass, he's all like you know, oh, I'll do it. So he comes up, he takes the Pop Rocks, he takes the soda, and he, you know, takes them both in. And then, you know, Wexler's all like, look, see, nothing to be worried about, nothing's wrong here. And then Damon's just starts, like, convulsing. He, like, falls down the, like, little steps at the class or whatever, and he's just, like, convulsing on the floor. You hear Brenda just, like, screaming, and, you know, uh, Parker saying, call 911! He's, like, telling telling uh, Pablos, uh, Edgar Pablos, to, like, you know, call 911. And, um, um, then apparently he's just faking this and he's not actually dying because um, he's a fucking asshole. Anyway, so then you see uh, Brenda and Natalie, they're walking and Brenda's all like, oh, I can't believe like they would do that shit. Um, but then, you know, Nat <laughs> then Natalie's all like, well, you know, who fell for it? And this is when you get the intro to, again, Michelle Mancini. We don't actually know that's her name at the beginning, uh, but I just told you all that. Obviously, of course I would. You know, uh, we find out that this is what's going on. Um, the newspaper is being pulled by the dean, played by John Neville, and the security, the one sole security officer, um, Reese, played by Laura Devine. Um, they're pulling these new uh, newspapers, and, you know, yeah, we're not trying to have all this news out there. And then Jared Leto comes through, and he's all like, oh, you can't do that, blah, 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 blah all this. Um, and be like, no, well, you know, we we are trying to like, you know, not just have all this outrage going on. Um, and then I think, uh, Reese says something about like, you know, news and world report, uh, named penalty university, one of the safest, uh, campuses. And I intend to keep it that way. Uh, I mean, I went to a school with like 2,500 people or something and we had way more that we had more than one security officer at that time. So, I mean, movie logic whatever so then you see that you know jared leto's here you know fucking paul's there and like he goes up to natalie and um 
Brenda and is like, you know, trying to get a comment from from one of them, like Brenda. Um, she says, I am moved and whatever, like, you know, and, you know, Natalie reads him. And again, I'm not exactly the biggest fan of Natalie, but like she does read him, though. She's like, this is somebody's life. Have you even thought about that? And he's like, no, I haven't. But hopefully, you know, 3,500 pe- other people, you know, from this news report, you know, would know about it. I will say this other thing, too. I just want to say this. Again, I don't like Jared Leto. Paul is acting like he's also kind of a douche, too. Because, like, Paul is acting like this is his literal job. I'm like, boo, like, okay, you're not getting paid for this. Like, you are not, um, you're, like, a journalism student, apparently. And, I mean, it's good for you to get these writing samples or whatever. But, like, this is not your damn job. Like, I mean, I guess you gotta treat it as your job if you want it to be, but, like, ugh, anyway, I'm, I just hate when he's all, like, you know, ooh, like, you know, this is my job, you know, and I'm doing this, and I'm like, you're just, like, getting into people's business, but, anyway, continue. I like that Natalie reads him, honestly. I, I kind of like that. And then you see a news report in the cafeteria um, that is being um, on the news. They talk about the decapitated body of Michelle Mancini has been found. They're looking for Michael McDonald, who is like the gas attendant, um, who might be involved in it, all that kind of stuff. And then the gang talks about, in the cafe, they talk about Michelle. They're like, oh, it's so horrible. And like, did anybody know her? She roomed in daily. And then uh, Natalie's just like, oh, I didn't know her. And then Damon, with his, again, his trifling ass, he was saying, like, you know, I really, I didn't know her. I'm going to miss her because that girl gave great head. And it's such a bad taste joke, honestly. I'm just like, oh, Jesus Lord. But, you know, Parker and Sasha, their trifling asses laugh and all that, too. So we see Tosh being an absolute icon uh, on the computer in her room, her and Natalie's room. She's chatting up guys on Goth for Goth. Uh, and she's smoking. So apparently, uh, Daniel Harris was actually a smoker in real life at this time. And she thought, oh, yeah, like, you know, I'm cool. And I'm, like, getting to smoke on camera and all that. But then, you know, didn't fucking realize that you have to then, like, smoke 800 cigarettes, like, on set. And so apparently, you know, that kind of scarred her a little bit. And she quit after that. But again, she's an icon, though. Like, I just love her aesthetic. She looks so good. Natalie finds a pill bottle uh, that is prescribed to Tosh. The doctor who prescribed it was uh, Dr. Charles Breen, which is funny because he's the production um, designer. And she uh, gives the pill bottle to Tosh. It says it's lithium, which is like supposed to be, um, I guess, helping with like manic depressive or like bipolar disorder or whatever. I'm not a psychiatrist. But- so Natalie tries to use the phone, but then the dial-up interferes because, you know, Tosh is too busy chatting up goth guys and trying to get that dick. So then, you know, Tosh gets all upset and just leaves. Um, and then Brenda left a message for Natalie on her phone being like, hey, you seem kind of out of it today. You all right, doll? Call me. And then Natalie's mom calls her and she's just like, hi, honey, just wanted to check in. You know, it's so sad what happened to Michelle. You know, I hope you're doing okay. You know, call me when you get a chance. And so then Natalie goes in her little closet and she looks at her yearbook from like the year or previous or something like that. And she goes to the page where you have the Spirit Squad. You find out that Michelle and her actually knew each other in high school. They were the Spirit Squad leaders. They were the team captains. And I was like, oh my god, she knew Michelle. Like, you know, she was lying before, um, but she knew Michelle. So I was like, oh damn. So then uh, Damon stops by the room and he invites Natalie out. Talking about something about like how, you know, they're going to pierce Hootie's nose. Um, She's like, Hootie's a dog. And um, Damon just says, like, well, that's no reason he can't 
can't be hip. I'm like, animal abuse, rude. Then you have um, Natalie decides to go with. So Natalie and uh, Damon drive out to the woods. You know, he's getting his call uh, worked together. And you um, have this, like, little warm-up or whatever. And then uh, the car turns over. And then you hear I I Don't Want to Wait by Paula Cole, which was the theme song to Dawson's Creek, which was kind of a cute little Easter egg, since, obviously, uh, you got Joshua Jackson in this movie um, playing... Uh, not Pacey Witter at all, but uh, that was kind of a little fun nod. Um, Damon and Natalie are in the middle of the woods. Like uh, that's where Damon has taken her, and uh, she reveals that she actually knew Michelle as well. And they're just in the woods. I will say, Damon is just an actual asshole because he's talking about how, oh well, I recently lost someone too. Like my girlfriend, you know, she died of like a syndrome or whatever. And he's absolutely an asshole in this movie. And I wrote in my notes, I said, Pacey would never. Now, granted, I mean, spoiler alert for you. Know, season one of Dawson's Creek. Now, he might have been trifling with that teacher or whatever and doing some Mary Kay Letourneau type shit, okay? And they were engaging in those activities. But however, Pacey Witter would never. So, Pacey Witter's Santa account over here. I'm sorry. Uh, Dawson Leary fucking sucks. He's trying his luck. He's pressing his luck, Damon is. And Natalie punches him, which she's just enough with him. I put in my notes, I said, Natalie punches him, her only good part in the movie. Because I was like, that's right, Natalie, you better. Because he's just being an actual asshole and being horrible. So, that was one of the parts I liked about her. So then, you know, he's all like, uh, you don't have to be such a bitch about it. And be like, oh, okay, yeah, mm-hmm, that's helpful. And be like, I don't have to be. It's not an act, honey. So then Damon's like, all right, I gotta go take a piss. And, you know, he goes to pee. And he then gets snagged by our killer. Like, and he gets, like, you know, fucking taken by behind. So then, you know, Natalie's just, like, looking like, you know, looking in the car and just being like, all right, like, Hey, come on, Damon, shake it, let's go. And then, so you see Natalie and the killer, she gets out of the car, and you see the killer's, like, right in front of her, and then so Natalie locks herself back into the car, and she tries to drive away, and she's just like, ooh, bitch, I gotta get out of here, like, what am I gonna do? All the while, like, she doesn't know how to, like, work the car, she doesn't know how to, like, drive it away, and apparently the killer was able to then hang Damon from the tree, and then once Natalie was actually able to, like, get off and, you know, put the car in a drive and actually leave, it actually made it worse for Damon because then he went up into the tree and he just like got hung pretty much and then he got uh he then came crashing down on his own car and he died uh and this is of course uh from the boyfriend's death legend where you know uh these kids go out to the uh, lover's lane or whatever uh the guy goes out to like pee or something and then uh this girl's just like waiting for him and then she starts hearing these like weird like um scratches on the roof of the car and then she's just like okay i won't really do anything i don't know what's going on and then the next morning a police officer's trying to let him well this doesn't happen in the movie but like you know um trying to say hey you know come out of the car like don't look behind you we're gonna take you to safety and she finds out that her boyfriend's been hanging there the whole time and it was his fingers that were like you know scratching uh on the roof of the car uh so this is pretty much that legend and so natalie busts into the office and she's like oh my god like he's dead they killed him and so she leads reese uh to the scene of the killing and then reese of course doesn't believe her he's she's thinking that um, natalie's on drugs or something like that and she's just like oh no like you know you're crazy girl and so we find out that the gas attendant brad duriff um he apparently was arrested later uh 
earlier this afternoon so you know you know they figure out what happened with michelle and all that and so then the rest of the gang we then see in the um cafe natalie's all like you know no it really happened like damon you know this is what happened and you know he's a really practical joker um you know he's is ski weekend now you know all that kind of stuff um and of course he would do something like this and, you know, then they start talking a little bit about urban legends. So they're like, you know, doesn't it sound like that one urban legend about, like, the guy goes out and then the girl's in the car and then all that? That sounds kind of like this urban legend. And then they talk about Michelle Mancini, like how they, you know, apparently somebody was in the car and they, like, killed her that way and it was in her back seat. And so, you know, they start talking about this stuff and, you know, they're not really, uh, Parker just thinks it's a bunch of bullshit and all this. And he's just, he makes, like, a, um... What did you make, like, a, a bubblegum uh, with spiders in it kind of joke or whatever? So then you see Natalie going back to her room. She tries to talk to Tosh about something. We don't really know what she actually talks to her about. Um, but then Tosh is just, like, iconic, and she's just like, what? And then, you know, Natalie doesn't feel like talking to her anymore. So then they leave, and then Natalie goes and calls the ski lodge that apparently Damon's at, um, and the person on the phone's like, oh, there was this, like, blonde guy who came with this earlier party, um, but, you know, I can't really confirm, because, like, his, you know, name's not on the cabin, and all this kind of stuff, and it's not on his credit card, um, you know, so there's not much they really going to do for her, but, like, you know, she at least does her due diligence to check. So then Natalie goes to the library, and she's looking through the stacks, and she finds the Encyclopedia of Urban Legends, which was also um, apparently not even a real book, um, but then it got turned into a real book, I guess, after this movie came out. And it is authored by Charles Breen, apparently, which I thought was kind of funny, because again, production designer. So then Natalie runs into Sasha, oh, boo bitch, and they start talking about, like, Urban Legends, uh, you know, because they're looking through this, uh, this encyclopedia, and so they find, like, the boyfriend's death one. They talk about uh, the roommate's death, which will come up in a minute. Um, and then they talk about the gang high beam initiation. So, like, you know, Tara Reed's talking about, like, uh, you know, this one isn't fake. Like, you know, gang members will drive around at night with their headlights off. And then when somebody goes to flash them theirs, you know, they'll chase after them and they kill them. That's why I don't um, warn anybody when I drive. Sasha has to go because she has some homework. And then Tosh is chatting uh, with some person on Goth for Goth. And then uh, Natalie notices that Damon actually checked out the encyclopedia before she did. Um, so she's like, hmm, that's kind of weird. And so she, you know, Tosh is chatting up this guy on Goth for Goth, apparently. And she's all like, you know, what are you into? Um, and he's like, lithium. And be like, my kind of guy. Like, uh, tell me what room you're in and I'll go get ready for it in a minute. So then Tosh goes to the bathroom. She gets all cute. You know, she's getting all cute for you know her her hookup and then she comes back into the room and then you see that like apparently you know uh the person who she was chatting with you know she asked like what room are you in and then the message just says yours and it's like blinking and it's like scary and then she has this person like you know covering her mouth and all this and then you know ooh bitch like some shit's happening so then natalie's walking back to her room and somebody says like you know looks like elvira's raising more than the dead in there and she's like oh thanks for let me know so while this murder is fucking happening and so then um natalie walks into the room and she's all like you know oh sorry not looking uh because she had this previous experience with with tosh you know walking in on her having sex so she just doesn't turn on the light so she just goes to bed she doesn't like do anything like wash her face or like 
you know, brush her teeth or anything like that, but whatever, you know. So, you know, she doesn't turn the light on, she goes to bed while apparently her, she thinks her roommate's having sex. Finds that there's, like, this pool of blood she sees uh, near Tosh's bed, and she then pulls the covers off of Tosh. She sees that this girl's dead with her wrist slit, and then she turns around and she sees that there's this message that says, aren't you glad you didn't turn on the light, which is the roommate's death legend, which she just read about in the Encyclopedia of Urban Legends. So then, you know, of course, you know, she uh, lets the local folks know, um, and Tasha's body is taken away. Somebody says, like, make sure to check her pulse. She's looked like that for years. Then Dean, Adams, and Reese are interviewing Natalie about, you know, oh, like, well, if you heard moaning, like, why did you not turn on the light? And she's like, well, I walked in on Tosh having sex before, so it wasn't really something I wanted to see. And then Reese is all like, so you did you see anybody in the room? And Natalie's like, well, I felt a presence. And then Reese is like, no, baby, like, did you see somebody? She's like, not particularly. And then, like, Dean Adams is all like, you know, did you know that Tosh was manic depressive? So he's, like, putting Tosh's business all out there. And then Natalie says something about, like, she painted half her room black. I kind of had an idea. I had a pretty good idea. But Dean Adams in this situation is so goddamn stupid because, well, you know, there's no, there was no, uh, you know, Reese is all like, you know, oh, well, there's no fourth century. There's not really much. It's just a tragic situation. And then Natalie's even like, uh, excuse me, like, Nat- like, Tosh didn't kill herself. What are you talking about? Like, there's somebody else in that room and like, oh, what, like, aren't you supposed to, aren't you glad you didn't turn on the light? And then he just says, like, Dean Adams just says, like, a very, you know, tragic suicide note. And it's like, okay, so like, apparently by your life logic like uh, tosh after slitting her wrists are just like going and doing this fucking message on you know her roommate side of the room god he's so stupid so yeah there's gaslighting her pretty much and so it's ridiculous so then natalie and brenda have a little moment and they're just like you know like do you want to get coffee somewhere or whatever and then natalie's just like no girl like i just gotta be alone which, hey, fair enough, like, your best friend from high school died, even your roommate who you didn't really like a whole lot, like, just died. You're just like, what the fuck is going on? So then Paul, with his trifling ass, comes to confront Natalie. She's, like, you know, outside um, somewhere. And he's confronting her about knowing Michelle, because he apparently photocopied, he called their high school and got this information somehow. I don't know how the hell he got that, but whatever. And he gets, like, this little photocopy of, like, um, them as cheer squad captains or whatever. And she's, like, he's all like, well, why didn't you tell me that you knew me, Michelle Mancini? She's like, what, so you could exploit her death a little bit more? And that's what I kind of like, too. I was like, you better read him. Like, this is not your job, Paul. Like, stop trying to get all in people's business because you don't know about all this shit, you know? And so then, like, Natalie and Paul go and they talk in the news office, like, where he has his little office or whatever. And then talking about, like, you know, well, yeah, like, a killer using urban legends to kill people, like, it's a stretch, but, you know, but this is what's seeming to happen, you know? Like, this is what happened to Tosh, this is what happened to Michelle, it's what happened to Damon. And, you know, like, this all happened and they're all, like, these weird urban legends. So she then, uh, Natalie starts to put together about the Stanley Hall Massacre. She's like, well, wait a minute. Like, it's the 25th anniversary of this supposed legend that happened at our school. Maybe what's going on with this a little bit? Like, maybe that's why this is happening or something. Like, I don't know. Like, she's trying to piece something together. So I'll at least give her that a little bit. You know, nothing really, I think, ends up coming from this. But, like... At least she's trying to be like, all right, well, Stanley Hall happened. These people who I seem to know are 
being killed off with urban legends as the kind of, you know, mode of, of murder. So let's go sleuthing about this. So Paul and Natalie, they go and sleuth for it. They try to find like the freaking index or yearbook or something of that year that this Stanley Hall massacre happened, which I guess was like 1973 or something, but they can't find it for whatever reason. Don't know, really know why. And then they decide to talk to the creepy janitor played by Julian Richings, uh, who's a, um, Canadian actor and they ask him like hey how long have you worked here and, and he's just like too damn long and then they're like do you know anything about Stanley Hall like we would really like to know about it and then he's like I don't really know nothing uh, but then he does say like if you want to know about anything talk to Wexler they go into Wexler's, you know, they're knocking on the door, like, oh, it's his office hours, like, isn't he supposed to be here? And so then Paul, with his trifling ass, he's, like, breaking in there. And I will say this, Wexler's office, and as somebody who both, obviously, you know, I went to a college, and then I also worked at a college for a short time, this office for a professor is, like, way too big from whatever I've ever seen. So I was like, damn, he got a nice office, I guess. So then they go sleuthing. Um, I like when uh, he says... Natalie says something about, like, do they teach you this in journalism class? And then, like, uh, Paul's all like, oh, I dropped journalism ethics, like, first semester wasn't healthy my GPA. I'm like, okay, and you now want to be a goddamn journalist and try to win the student Pulitzer? Like, he's so trifling, I hate him. Natalie goes sleuthing over the office. She's, like, opening some, you know, cabinets or whatever with some books in it. And then she finds this, like, weird secret passage that has the parka in there. Ooh, bitch, scary. And so then um, she goes in this little secret passage to, like, this back room. And she sees there's this axe. And she's all like, what the fuck is this? So then Natalie and Paul, they hide in this little secret room when apparently Wexler's coming in. Be like, hey, like, Paul, you should come see this. They find this, like, weird axe going on and be like, oh, what the fuck? So they, like, hide in there because they think, like, ooh, bitch, like, he can't catch us whatever so then you know they uh hear some rustling in the office and then they hear the door close they think they're in safe so they come out of that little room and they think they're safe but then they are caught by wexler because he is hiding behind this door and then he's like you know being all threatening being like can i help you with something in the best Robert Englund voice. So then the Dean, Dean Adams, has a conversation uh, with Paul and Natalie, and then Reese and um, Professor Wexler are there. They're all like, you know, Professor Wexler's like, you know, they broke into my office, yada, 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 talking about like, you know, can you give us a moment, you know, alone with, with these two? So then the Dean brings up, which is funny, in front of Paul, uh, brings up like Natalie's personal file and is like, probation you know it's crazy that we were even accepted because you know we normally wouldn't accept a student with a criminal record and you know natalie was like oh it was just for a year i had already been accepted and all this kind of stuff yada yada uh so that we discover that she was on been on probation before um and then dean adams tells paul that he's off the paper and he's like you can't do that you can't dictate editorial policy and be like i didn't like I didn't fire you like your editor did like an hour ago we spoke. And so then after this little conversation, Natalie and Paul, they're walking outside and they're fighting. And then again, Paul's asking like, oh, well, this is a little bit more than just, you know, yada, yada, you know, probation. Like, why didn't I know about this? And it's like, boo, whose business does this have to be? Like, it doesn't have to be any of your business. Like, what the heck? So then they have their stupid little fight that they have. God, I hate it. And so... <laughs> 
And then so you see Brenda is swimming, so you guys see Rebecca Gayhart with her little swim cap on, her goggles, and she's swimming in the pool or whatever, she's doing her little laps. Natalie is like walking, walking, and she's seeing, so you see that this place takes, you see that this movie takes place in Melbourne, New Hampshire, which is kind of funny because Jamie Blanks is from Melbourne, Australia, so like they made this kind of town up a little bit. And so then Natalie's like looking at the um, pool or whatever, which is at the University of Toronto, and she's looking down, you know, watching, um, um, Brenda do some laps, but then she sees this person come in with a parka that was like the parka that she sees all that person the night Damon died. Oh no. And then she's also like kind of weirded out because the same parka was in fucking um, Wexler's office or whatever. So then she like, you know, is trying to yell for Brenda and whatever. And, you know, Brenda can't hear her cause she's swimming or whatever. And so then she takes a chair, Bre- uh, Natalie takes a chair and just uh, knocks it against the glass. Glass doesn't break. It just kind of shatters a little bit. And then you see that it was just some girl in a parka, um, who was just trying to, uh, talk to Brenda about something. So then, um, destroying school property. So then you have Brenda and Natalie. Brenda's like, girl, nothing is going to happen to me. Don't worry. You know, Natalie finally just, um, talks about like, you know, what happened. Like she said, I knew Michelle Mancini. We hadn't talked in about two years because pretty much this is what happened. So she said that, uh, one evening back in high school, they were driving her car. Michelle was driving and, um, she was in the passenger seat and they were doing this, uh, they heard about this gang high beam initiation thing that we heard about from Sasha earlier. Michelle thought it would be a funny kind of prank to just do it. Like turn our headlights off. The next person who, you know, flashes their lights, we just will chase them and that's what will happen. Well, that happens. And then, you know, they're chasing after this guy. They think it's kind of like hee hee tee hee fun or whatever. And then what ends up happening is that it gets a little too out of control and they end up uh, causing this accident where this guy gets run off the road and he fucking dies. And so then they got to call the police. They got to talk about what happened and all this sort of like vehicular manslaughter in a weird way because they were like minors or whatever. Like they only got like probation and all of this, but like, you know, that's some fucked up shit. And they only got that little bit of slap on the wrist with probation. Like, mm, anyway, white privilege, I guess, but you know, ugh, gross. But, yeah, so that's what happened, and Brenda's all like, you know, oh, God, that's so horrible for everyone. But Brenda does say, she's like, listen, girl, like, I know that's a lot to deal with, but, you know, come out to the party tonight. Like, you know, have a good time, take your mind off of things, and I'll be there for you, okay? Don't worry. Paul is packing up his shit in the news office because he got fired and he finds this article in his desk about Wexler, Professor Wexler, having survived the Stanley Hall massacre. Like the creepy janitor is kind of there like outside the door and he like looks at him real quick and he walks away. That kind of tells me that maybe the janitor had known about it and like left it there for him to like see. So that was kind of interesting. Then you see Dean Adams leaving uh, in the parking garage and then Reese kind of stops him uh, before he leaves Um, and they're talking in the parking garage they're talking about like you know it might be a good idea if we could add on a few officers for this weekend you know just with like the whole thing about the stanley hall you know shit going on and all this kind of stuff and then dean's all like no we don't have to do that like 
don't call anybody, you know, without my permission, all this. Even though Reese is kind of saying, like, you know, since the whole Michelle Mancini thing's happened, and, you know, all, and then the whole suicide with, like, Tosh or whatever, and then now I can't find Damon, Damon Brooks, you know. It, but anyway, so, you know, he's, uh, he then, he says something about, like, you know, he's a guy, like, you know, it's the weekend. Um, he's probably shacked up somewhere with some girl or guy or farm animal. Weren't you ever 18? And then Reese is all like, not that kind of 18. Again, Dean's all like, oh, well, you know, don't call, don't call anybody. Don't do anything without my permission. She's like, all right, have a good night, sir. And then she just like mouths asshole behind his back, which is great. You know, Reese leaves. And then immediately after she leaves, um, pretty much like the Dean gets his Achilles uh, cut and he's like having to like, you know, pretty much like crawl because like his car like somebody come out from under his car the killer came out from under his car and like you know they put the car into drive it's kind of like ghost ride the whip in a weird way and like they go 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 and like the car is like kind of trailing him in neutral or whatever and then what ends up happening is like um he uh gets to the point where he gets to the spikes or whatever and he gets killed on the spikes the dean gets killed on the spikes and that's how the Dean gets gets offed from, from this. So then you have the frat party going on. This frat party is to commemorate the Stanley Hall Massacre. So you see fucking animal abuse by uh, Parker uh, giving a beer bong to his dog Hootie. God, idiot. Sasha's there. She's just kind of like hanging out. And there's this like weird guy that comes up to her um, because the Love Roller Coaster song is playing by Ohio Players. And so then there's a legend about that song where like uh, part of the song you can hear what sounds like a scream and the guy says like, oh, well that's an actual scream of somebody who's getting killed and it was lifted from an actual 911 tape. And and then Tasha's just like, okay, great. Ugh, whatever, weirdo. Or no, Natalie shows up at the party. She sees Brenda there. Um, Brenda's like, hey, Miss Thang, you want to get something to drink? And she's like, oh, I'll take a beer. And so then Paul finds Natalie there, be like, listen, like, this is real. Like, Wexler was a survivor of this Stanley Hall massacre thing. Here's the article. They're upstairs somewhere or whatever at this par- frat party. And he's just like, you know, maybe he's did this. Like, you know, he survives this massacre. He gets a job doing this shit. He's got a job for love. Life, he's fine right and then maybe he just like goes crazy every so often and, and all this especially since it's the 25th anniversary of the the massacre you see that you know natalie's crying about something she's she's all like why is he trying to do this to me like what is going on because it seems like he's kind of targeting natalie a little bit because obviously all this shit's been happening to her so then paul and natalie kiss and fucking brenda is like bringing the beer and she's all like you just waste no time do you natalie and then you know she's like here it's light and then natalie's just like oh girl i'm a dumbass like you know i messed up i screwed up i'm like yeah you did you just kissed paul what you doing that for he ain't even that cute then brenda goes out and she cries on the porch girl i know it's just like so hard and so then Reese is like sleuthing through the building where Wexler's office is. She gets spooked by that creepy janitor and he's just like, you almost, she's like, she almost gave me a heart attack. And then he just says, boo, which I thought was kind of funny. And so then um, she goes to Wexler's office, which is like now open, which is kind of weird. So she's like looking around, looking around, you know, she looks in that little, um, hidden room or whatever and then all of a sudden she like walks back she's got her gun drawn she's like 
like, what the fuck? It's after 10 p.m. at this point. And then she, like, steps, takes a step back, and she just slips on a bunch of blood that she just finds. So then Paul and Parker, so Paul goes up to Parker, and he's all like, dude, like, you know, you might want to end this party early. Like, there's something going on with the Stanley Masker shit. And so then Parker's all like, you know, hey, hey, like, you know, stop the music. Like, you know, um, he's just being an asshole pretty much. And he um, is like, oh, hey, like, I think it's like some Woodward and Bernstein wannabe, you know, who's like only got a few more weeks before graduation. And, you know, he's telling you, like, this is why you should leave. Like, tell these people why they should leave because there's a murderer on campus, you know, killing people with urban legends or whatever. And so then Parker's just being an asshole about this. And so then Paul's just like, all right, fuck you then. So he then leaves to go get help. So he leaves the scene. And then um, Sasha, like, kind of rebuffs Parker. She's like, why do you got to be such a jerk about everything? Um, And I was like, you know what, Tara Reid, I get it. So then she's like, I'm going to go to the radio station, boy. Like, you know, I'm going to get away from you for a little bit. And so then Parker gets a phone call. Okay, so then you see Tara Reid leaving with her friend in the car in the rain or whatever. So then they go to the radio station. But then Parker gets this phone call. Um, and gets this phone call. And uh, the, on the phone, uh, the other voice on the phone says, you're going to die tonight. Um, and then he's all, like, checking the phone ID. And he's like, okay, Damon. Like, haha, it's, like, from your phone. Be like, whoa. You know, he's he's kind of treating it as, like, you know, uh, call that's coming from inside the house. Could it be an urban legend? And he's talking about, like, you know, oh, I know this one where it's like, you know, the babysitter's getting these calls from inside the house. Well, guess what? You seem to forget I'm not babysitting. And then the voice on the phone's all like, wrong legend. This one's about the one where um, the old lady dries her dog in the microwave. And then you're like, oh no. So then like he, uh, Parker then runs back down to the little kitchen area and he uh, sees that the microwave's going off and like he opens the microwave and you see that Hootie, I guess, has now been exploded in the microwave and is dead. And then he's just like, fuck, fuck, sick, fuck, you know, all this stuff. And he like ducks into this little bathroom to like vomit and shit. So you just like see his face in the toilet bowl or whatever. And then Parker ends up there. And then the person, the killer, he come, they come in and they're like uh, putting his head in the toilet and all that. And like, you know, they kind of incapacitate him. Then Parker wakes up sitting on the toilet with all of his clothes on and everything. And um, these pop rocks, they get shoved down his throat. And then the Strano, um, it's a kind of a beer bong from like a funnel or whatever. And they uh, take some Drano, the killer takes some Drano and puts that in there. And then that's how they kill Parker. So Parker's dead now. So then Reese calling 911 and she's just like, uh, the 911 operator's like, I'm, are you sure it's blood? And Reese is like, I'm, yes, I'm sure it's blood. I'm covered in it. What are you talking about? The 911 operator's like, well, due to the storm, yada, yada, yada. And be like, you know what? Bullshit. Like, you know, this is bullshit. Like, you know, uh, you say you're to serve and protect, but like, you're not protecting shit. Like, what are you doing? Reese is just like, all right, let's handle this already. So then you see Natalie's trying to call Paul, I guess. And then she, he doesn't answer or whatever, even though he just left. So I don't know how he would have necessarily done that and then you see sasha um at the radio station she's answering a phone call you see her little um her little radio guy too is also there and she's like um talking to these people who apparently are like stuck within each other while having sex um this guy and this girl and they're talking talking and then the call just goes because you see that the killer has come in and they pretty much you know offed um the little radio helper guy. And then you have 
uh, Sasha going up to the glass. It's all dark um, on the other side. And then she sees the killer and she just screams. And you see, you have this um, chase scene that I thought was really good. I thought it was very well done. So she's just being chased through this building. You know, she's trying to get out of there. But like, you know, um, this guy, this person has an axe. And so they almost, they swing this axe and, you know, she then runs away. Apparently, uh, Tara Reed almost lost a finger or two in that stunt. Um, but as I stated earlier, I mean, Tara Reed did all of her own stunts for this um, whole chase scene. I will definitely say that this chase scene is up there with like Sarah Michelle Geller and I Know What You Did last summer. Uh, it's a pretty good chase scene. It's not, it's not bad at all. So pretty much like Sasha's biding her time. So she's like um, hanging off this like stairwell and then she like, you know, hops to the next, she hops to the next uh, level or whatever and then she gets in this elevator and she goes up to the third floor she's just trying to like bide her time at this point so she goes back into her little radio station room and then by this point you know um also you're seeing that um natalie is running through the rain to try to get through the state um to the station because pretty much what's happening is that sasha is still in the air so everyone's hearing this and they're like oh no it's a reenactment of the stanley hall massacre and blah 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 that's what they're doing these students are so stupid. But anyway, so, so everyone can hear this going on and they don't know it's real, apparently. So all this shit's been happening. And then Sasha finally, you know, gets back in her little radio room and she's just like, oh God, what am I going to do? The killer, unfortunately, by the time Natalie gets to the building, um, she actually gets, uh, you know, Sasha gets killed by the killer, gets, you know, hacked. Um, and she's pleading for her life. She's saying, please, please, I don't want to die. Um, and it's like really sad and upsetting. So I'm like, oh, goddamn, girl, that sucks. And then in the meantime, you also hear Reese hear Sasha on the radio too, because she's like driving and like trying to get this shit together and she's trying to figure out what's going on. Um, so she's just like, oh my god, bitch, like, oh no. Natalie runs back and meets Paul, and they go into Paul's room. And so um, they're just like, you know, I, uh, so Paul's all like, I can't, you know, get a hold of Dean Adams. I can't find Reese anywhere. Like, we're just going to have to figure this out. He's trying to call the police. He's trying to call somebody. And then um, the phone's dead. Like, this sucks. So then Natalie then checks to see if the phone is actually dead. Because then there's some suspicion around Paul. Because Natalie's just like, you know, what the fuck? Like, where were you? Like, ugh, I don't know. So you're starting to see some suspicion be around Paul. Natalie and Paul, they run and uh, out into the rain and then brenda shows up she's like what's happening like i heard sasha on the radio and then you know natalie's like well she's dead like, oh no oh god and so all three of them are running together so then reese had went to the radio station she found sasha and then you see her like drive in and she's like trying to call dean adams she's like dean adams you got my number use it you know, and so then the gang, um, so Natalie, Paul, and Brenda, they're all driving, you know, they're getting off campus, they're driving together, and they stop at this gas station, so Natalie says something about, like, you know, what's that smell, like, what's, what's going on here, like, you hear, do you smell that, and then when they go into the, um, so Paul goes into the gas station, and then Brenda's all like, oh, God, it does reek in here. So then while Paul's in the gas station, you see Brenda and Natalie, they kind of make up from their little tiff from before. Um, and Brenda's like, listen, like, if you like him, like, you guys would be good together. You guys should be together. Um, and they kind of make their little makeup or whatever. But then you hear this familiar ringtone, because you heard this ringtone. It goes like, da 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 
And you heard this earlier in Professor Wexler's class, um, you know, when he was talking about the babysitter murders and all that. They go to the back, they go to the trunk of this car, this like station wagon thing, and they discover that Professor Wexler's corpse is there. That's what was the stink was in the car. And then they look at Paul, who's in the, the gas station, and then Brenda's just like, like I said, he's all yours. And so then they're like running away because they're like, oh my God, Paul's the killer, Paul's the killer. Like they're running, running, running. Um, Brenda then falls down and Natalie hears her scream. She's like, Brenda, Brenda. And then you just hear Brenda scream. And so they're just thinking like, ooh, bitch. Like, you know, Paul is like a crazy guy. Like he's going to kill me. Oh no, God. Natalie gets to a main road um, and she flags down this car, ends up being the creepy janitor. We don't ever get a name for the creepy janitor, but, you know, creepy janitor picks her up and he's like driving, driving, driving. Like, I ain't going to bite you, you know, you know, they're driving, driving. She's just like, okay, you can let me off here. And then, you know, oh no, don't worry about it. You know, can't do that. So then you're having a little bit of suspicion for the creepy janitor maybe, but then that wasn't really going anywhere. So then, um... The janitor sees that a car doesn't have their headlights on, so he, like, flashes the beams. And then Natalie's like, no! And so then she, he's like, what the hell's wrong with you? And so then the um, janitor's car is getting chased by this other car, and then they get run off the road, and they crash into a tree. So assuming that the janitor is now, like, mortally wounded or something, but then Natalie is not, and she's able to, um, you know, just run. So then you see Reese, who honestly is kind of a, cool character she she's shitty in some parts but like overall like she's kind of a fun one character to have uh she goes to her office and she gets her gun and she straps up uh which is great so then you see that natalie is like running through the you know rain or whatever the hell's going on um i think the rain came back and so then she's tried to call for help with one of those blue light boxes or whatever uh, that they have on college campuses to like report when shit goes down and so then um she's trying to call for help but then natalie hears brenda screaming from stanley hall and she goes in there and she tries to investigate she's just like oh bitch my friend like what am i gonna do um so she goes to investigate she's like walking through the whole um the whole Stanley Hall. This is like very atmospheric. Uh, I think this was in a uh, building that was back to be demolished, actually. So it really adds to the atmosphere and all this. And then they have this kind of little like final girl circuit thing where like Natalie finds all the bodies. She's finding like Dean Adams and she finds like, I don't know if she found Sasha. She might have. She might not have actually. She finds Damon's body. She finds Parker's body. You know, all this shit, right? She's finding all these people. She's like, oh no, this is horrible. So then she gets to this one room. She sees that there's this like bed and she sees Brenda there and Brenda's just like laying there and you're just like, oh no. And then, you know, Natalie's just like, oh no, like what's going on here? Um, so then you see Natalie um, laying on the bed. You see that um, she's like sitting on the bed and then Brenda like is laying on the bed kind of like, you know, in a cross formation, if you will. And then you see that like, while Natalie's not looking, Brenda just gets up and then she just punches uh, Natalie in the face. And then you just see her having this little smile. The killer has now walked into the room. You now see that it is Brenda who has been wearing this Parker the whole time and she is the killer. She says, gotcha. And so um, you see that Natalie is in the bed. She's tied up with like um, some tape over her mouth. She takes the gag off of um, Natalie's mouth. She's like, now, if I remove that gag, you're going to have to promise not to scream. Lord knows I had enough of that with Sasha. 
And so then the first thing that Natalie says is just like, you're fucking crazy. I prefer the term eccentric, but yeah, you could say I'm a little natty. And then she just, uh, Natalie's just saying like, why? Why? And then um, like, <laughs> I love when Brenda's like, she says, why? 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 And that very much reminded me of Skeet Ulrich from Scream, honestly. So, you know, she then is like, you still don't get it, do you, Natalie? And she's like, well, lucky for you, Miss Thang, I've got a visual aid. And I, that's my favorite part, literally, is just she calls her Miss Thang, and she just says, I've got a visual aid. And so pretty much what happened was she shows this picture of her and a guy, and they're like all smiley and happy and shit, and be like, does pick ring any bells, Nat? And so then um, we find out, because then there's a newspaper clipping, that Brenda's boyfriend was the guy that Natalie and Michelle killed by accident. And his name was David Evans. And we were going to get married, you know, it was the summer after graduation. He, did, he couldn't get me an engagement ring, so he was, you know, going to be doing something or whatever. And then the night you took him from me. And so you're just like, oh, no, girl, this is horrible. And then, you know, that's all happening. Then you see Reese is driving Stanley Hall. Cause she's just like, bitch, I got to do this. So then there's this whole framing device of just like, you know, I've got the perfect cover up in Paul's car. Wexler. And then she's all like, you know, um, committed these murders uh, with the same way of what he teaches. It's just so fucking clean, isn't it? So you have this whole kind of thing going on. And then she talks about how um, Natalie is going to be uh, being killed by the kidney heist. And she explains what the kidney heist is. Guy goes to a bar. He meets a woman, gets a drink. Boom, he's knocked out. And then he wakes up in an ice uh, bathtub full of ice and to find that his kidney's been removed and that um, they apparently get sold in the black market but I don't know if it's actually true until tonight you see that Brenda like stabs Natalie you're just gonna have to write down real hard on that um, gag and hope that you're gonna shock got on the anesthesia stabs Natalie and you're just like oh my god be like is this the kidney I was always such a dope in anatomy so then you're just like, oh, bitch, this is getting intense. So then Reese comes to the rescue because she's like, put your hands up. And then Brenda's all like, oh, great. Rent a cop to the rescue. So she's like, put your hands up. Get against the wall. Yeah, she tries to deal with, with Brenda or whatever. And then Brenda has her little knife. And so she slashes um, Reese. And then you have like Reese went down or whatever. And then Reese also gets shot, too, because she uh, drops her gun she's strapped up with. And then, like, fucking Brenda shoots her, kind of. And then you're just like, oh, Jesus Christ. So then Brenda is holding up Natalie. She's all like, okay, shot in the head. You know, not exactly an urban legend, but it'll do. And so then um, from out in the, you know, the back, Paul then claps. And he's trying to get Brenda on his side. He's trying to go along with like, you know, oh, I couldn't have done it better myself, you know. And and you're trying to kind of get Brenda on his side so that, you know, she can give her the gun. And like, you know, I'm going to need some details for my article. Only details that you'll be able to give me. And, you know, Brenda's all like, we'd be just so fucking hot together, Paul. And be like, you are cute, Paul. But you're not that fucking cute. And then, which one do I shoot first? And Brenda's all like, eeny, meeny, miny. And then, somehow, I guess, uh, Reese had a gun, and she just shoots Brenda, and she goes, mo. 
so Brenda drops her gun because I guess she just got shot or whatever. And then um, she says to Natalie, who's now has the gun, she's like, oh, what are you going to do? Shoot me, Natalie? What kind of friend are you? Which I love. This whole performance is so camp. But anyway, so then uh, Brenda gets shot and she falls out the window in the rain. And so then they go over to Reese and Reese is all like, I thought I'd have to wait to be a police officer before I got shot or whatever. And so that whole thing happens. And you're just like, ooh, bitch. Okay, then. Um, I will say about this particular scene, I mean, this is exactly what makes Rebecca Gayhart the star of this film to me, because I'm literally like, she went from being the friend of Natalie, who was kind of snooze fast throughout the whole movie, and like, she then turns on a dime and she becomes this crazed killer. And I love it. Like, I'm just like, this is exactly why this movie, for me at least, that is the star of that film, to, to be honest. So so then Natalie and Paul are driving away. Um, they say that Reese will be fine. Paramedics are there. Like, you know, they'll take care of her. Um, and they're driving away. And then Paul says something about, like, if this is an urban legend, where's the twist? And then Brenda's in the back seat saying, boo, bitch, trying to kill those two. So she's all, like, you know, trying to, like, you know, take her axe and kill them or whatever. Paul is driving and then fucking Natalie's like trying not to get killed by Brenda and all that. And then Brenda, um, they end up getting on that bridge. I guess it was the bridge that like was around that area where Damon was killed or whatever that they had to pass through. And so then Paul like deliberately crashes into something so that Brenda will then go out the front window and uh, then, you know, go into the river, you know, kill her and, you know, make the, the legend, you know, rest now. And then I think also Natalie was saying, like, you know, details will change over time. Um, but, you know, I guess we have to deal with our lives now after this. And this is pretty much the same scene from the beginning um, in the title sequence. Um, and then we see that there's this little college scene where, like, they're talking about, like, you know, how, oh, yeah, this happened right at this college. But who wouldn't, you know, go to murder you or whatever? And then one girl uh, says, oh, yeah. And then Brenda was the girl from the Maxima commercial, which is kind of funny because... Rebecca Gayhart was in the Noxima commercial, so people knew who she was. And then you find out that, like, uh, there's another student who's like, I believe you. Oh, yeah, no, but you totally, you know, you got it wrong, though. So, like, you know, here's how the story really goes. And you find out, bitch, it's Brenda. Oh, no, she has somehow survived drop in the river, and she's now just went to another college. And then that's the end of Urban Legend. For me, at least, uh, this particular film, Urban Legend, um, isn't exactly uh, one of my favorite horror movies, exactly. But I will say that, you know, I do think it is a cult classic type of movie. Um, that, you know, it is this horror movie that kind of came after Scream, and I Know What You Did Last Summer, and was kind of a part of that post-Scream slasher era. There are certain things that work in this movie that I like and there are certain things I don't like um, but overall I think it was really cool for um, you know Jamie Blanks to be able to get this first directorial you know um, debut uh, this gave Silvio Orta a way to you know break into the business and be able to have a career um, in the entertainment business this helped launch Gina Matthews career for being a producer and even a lot of these people who were in the movie you know they were able to go on and have these really great careers you know and, and um, you know I got give credit where credit's due you know it, it seems like jamie blanks had a really good environment on set where people you know 26 people came back after 20 something years um to do the urban legacy documentary so i definitely give props where props are due and uh 
you know, this movie definitely, to me in a way, uh, is, is a cult classic. And it's a movie that I think people still look at and they do love it. And I think that's awesome if there's like a devoted fan base to this film because there's definitely stuff in it that I, I really enjoy. So right now, uh, as I'm recording this, Urban Legend was on Hulu or it still might be on Hulu. I've also seen it shown up on um, HBO Max before. Um, you could probably go and rent it if you want to like on prime video or youtube or something like that if need be i would recommend if you have not already done so and you really want to get the scream factory blu-ray of this movie i think it's well worth your while um to find out all this information and to get those kind of extra features and all that it also comes with the commentary old commentary um from like 98 or 99 or something and then there's a newer commentary on there as well i would say go give urban legend at least a look to um just say that you watched it i guess um and yeah i think it's at least somewhat worth your time as always, if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can do so by emailing cultcinemacircle at gmail.com. If you want to give any movie recommendations, give feedback on the show, or if you just want to say, hey, girl, hey, I'm open to all of it. You can also follow Cult Cinema Circle on Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd. Instagram handle is Cult Cinema Circle. Twitter handle is Cult Cine Circle. On those platforms, I tend to post when new episodes release. I'll post what the next episode is going to be. Uh, I make Instagram stories with a little fun facts and all that and just general fun stuff over there and on letterboxd you can find me at jesse j-e-s-s-e kremp k-r-e-m-p all one word on there i tend to log the movies that i've been watching i write little reviews about them and just general foolishness over there be sure to rate comment and subscribe to the cult cinema circle podcast on your podcatcher of choice you can find the show on apple podcasts google podcasts audible or wherever you like to listen to your favorite podcasts. I make it pretty easy for you to find the show. Be sure to leave five stars and a one to two sentence review. Um, it helps get people to see the show more and it helps more people find the show in general. As always, thank you for taking the time to listen to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast. And remember, my suggestion is that you down a couple shots of Pepto and next time get away from the volcano before it erupts. Take care. Bye. Bye. <laughs>